Hello and welcome to What Is This Behaviour? A new arts and culture podcast from Ashling and Amina. Each week we chat about a theme by bringing three things that we personally relate to that theme. One arts, one music and one political. We'll also have an agony art section, so send in your questions to our curious cat. Link in bio. Okay, let's go! <laughs> How are you doing, Ashling? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so excited that we're finally doing this. I know. It's Boxing Day. It is Boxing Day. Merry Chrysler. Merry Chrysler. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm I'm really, really excited that we're here. Um, I feel like we've been discussing this for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a journey. And maybe no one will listen. And that's okay, because we're going to listen to it. We're going to listen. Um, so, yeah. Do you have any resolutions for the new year? Or any, like, hopes and goals going into 2021 mm-hmm. or 2022.0? We'll see... <laughs> I like 2022. <laughs> um Yeah, I mean I made I made like a list the other day when I couldn't sleep and it is mainly the standard ones of like eat eat more healthy and exercise more and be nice to people and be nice to myself. Oh yeah, get up earlier and drink less. Um <laughs> good ones. Yeah. Yeah. I will see. Um we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> what are yours? Well, I do have the general ones of like eat healthier, exercise regularly, be the best version of myself mm-hmm. that I can be. Oh, yeah. Um, but then I also have some like poetry slash creative goals. Like I mm. wanna write a hundred sonnets next year. Mm. Um let's see if that actually wow. happens. I've never written a sonnet in my life. Yeah. I I should make writing or like creative ones. I should make creative ones. You don't have to. I mean I kind of want like I so last year I had mainly creative ones and I did um I like started this blog. And my resolution was to write 50 blog posts and they were mainly oh. going to be theatre reviews and like arts reviews and stuff like that. But obviously, I think I saw two plays in 2020 before everything shut down. Yeah. Uh, maybe three. So that kind of didn't work. I was also sort of reviewing like books and exhibitions and stuff. And then I just started writing way more personally. Mm. And so, I mean, my goal was to write 50 posts and I think I wrote about 10. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, shit happened. And um, yeah, I want to carry on with that and maybe write a bit more regularly and carry on writing personally, but like link it to stuff going on, I guess. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You could go back to it in terms of like the day reviews, hopefully when it opens up next year. But you've yeah. been reading so much as well. So yeah. definitely book reviews will be, Yeah, I would read them. Oh, thanks, that's one. Yeah. <laughs> as long as one person's reading them then. Yeah. And I also, last year I like had a resolution to paint more because I've got myself like an easel and a big book and some paints because I love painting but I don't think I've painted once in 2020 because I just I don't know I mean there's there has been time but I just haven't done it so maybe to paint more yeah it's got a nice thing to do so our theme for this week is (laughs) survival we're going to be doing is um sharing ways that we have survived this year or things that have got us through Mm. this year yeah yeah things that have got us through this year or even other difficult points in life or like things in general and um yeah I think we wanted to kick off with survival because it has been such a traumatic year in so many ways for so many different people Mm -hmm. okay okay so for the first thing that we've decided to bring to the theme of survival is one art-related thing. Okay, I'm gonna talk about the person that I 
possibly love the most bar my mum and my nieces and nephews and my friend. But anyway, <laughs> person that I really, really love. Um, and I try to write about her a lot in my daily book. It's Frida Kahlo. I think Frida is an incredible icon, an artistic icon, a revolutionary icon. Um, not just in her paintings and her self-portraits, also in her fashion, the letters that she wrote to people and the sort of things that she kept held on to. Um, and outside of that as well, she survived a horrific marriage, mm. do you know what I mean? And she did that through art and she survived a lot more than that, like childhood diseases and a really like destructive bus crash um, that when she was about 16. If you do want to check out Frida, I would really recommend her self-portraits. One of my favorites is The Broken Column. Um, it is a really beautiful, um, just image of Frida in a cast and her spine is visible. Um, so yeah, do check it out. I love me some Frida Kahlo. How did you first discover Frida? So I don't really, <laughs> I don't really remember the first time I ever encountered Frida Kahlo, but I do remember quite a few years ago now, it must have been four or five years ago, um, some poets and I were in a collective called Men Are Trash and we had to, we just sort of set the goal for ourselves to sort of write poems in response to women that have come before us mm. um, and creative women. And for some reason, I had encountered Frida's work before, but Frida was the first name that came to my head instantly. Mm. And I was like, and I didn't really know much about her life. I just sort of knew her images really mm. and her, her portraits. Um, but I didn't really dig into the life that she led outside of being a surreal artist um mm. but once i did do that i felt so drawn to her um just in terms of how much she had survived and how much shit that had happened to her and had been done to her um and she was still able to create and she mm. was still able to share that mm. um and yeah and like her romantic relationships outside of diego mm. um so incredible and like um i did i did also get to go to the vna exhibition of her work mm. which was the first time that any of her um work or her dresses or any of her outfits had left mexico um and yeah she just spoke to me so much there. I think I spent about four hours just walking around the exhibition wow. and just like really taking in every single thing. Wow. Um, and just, yeah, I just cried <laughs> so um, much. And I was just like, wow, yeah. hella powerful. Um, but so, like, and also I think like artists like that, it makes me, the impact that they have on me is like, what would I do if they had never existed or shared or their mm. creations, you know what I mean? Like, mm. how different would my life be? Do you and your know? work. And my work, yeah. yeah. Um, and it would be immensely different if, like, I hadn't ever come across Frida Kahlo or she, like, she had never, mm. like, decided to offer us anything, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so. that's so beautiful. I think that's such a beautiful thought and that's 
like a really nice thing to think of um like a reason to carry on as an artist or a writer mm -hmm. when you're faced with so many obstacles and obstructions uh to making work is like actually you know it's it's not a luxury something you write years down the line could could do that for someone else and that's such a you know even just one line of one poem you wrote could could spark something in someone else and like mm. that's amazing yeah no that is beautiful like i think all of the artists poets playwrights painters creatives in general and especially women and especially for me like black women mm. that have come before us I see them as like our ancestors because mm. it's like we are writing in response to them. We're writing back to them, mm. um, and they're yeah. They we wouldn't be. <laughs> we wouldn't yeah. have if we didn't read such radical work or mm. see such radical work. Then we wouldn't dare to fucking create. Yeah, I definitely. I think that with playwrights, I think um, there are certain playwrights that I've read, and I think if I hadn't read though or, or watched or watched, um, I think I wouldn't be writing at all. Mm. I wouldn't be interested in writing in theatre. Because if you don't kind of make the effort to explore, same with any art form, you're just kind of constantly bombarded with write, the writing of white men, of rich white men. And like, it, it's, it's like that's the default. And I, I think I find that especially with films, like you have to decide to watch a film made by a woman mm. if you normally, otherwise mm. you're just, if you don't make that decision, you're just going to be consuming art by white men. And like, yeah, with, with theatre especially, I think like, um, I just, I mean, actually, because I was at drama school and I was miserable and I don't want to do any acting. I was yeah. just, like, hiding in the library, reading any plays that I could get my hands on. Um, and, like, from there, I think I started realising that I wanted to write because I was like, oh, theatre can do this and theatre can make you feel this. And, like, I think it is. It is, like, an an it's ancestry or, like, a genealogy, yeah. if that's the right word. Yeah. yeah. Ashling, what do you bring for... The art slash literature. For the art slash literature section, I have brought a book called Know My Name by Chanel Miller. So this, so Chanel Miller is an author and she's also the woman who was assaulted by Brock Turner in the case, it was like two, three years ago, I think now. And for a long time, she was kind of being reported on under the pseudonym Emily Doe. That's how the press was kind of reporting about it. And obviously a lot of the journalism about that case was like, horrifically problematic white guy who was at it was Harvard or one of those kind of big unis mm. in America and she, she kind of writes in the book that she felt like the trial had already started months before they set foot in the courtroom because it was like the public yeah. were already making their decisions and she would be kind of like haunted by these horrible forums like sort of mum's net type forums where people were being like I would never let my daughter get that drunk and just all this, all this horrifying stuff so it's really awful but this book is amazing and it's just it's all about survival and um, I read it at a time when I was kind of I was going through something else this book helped me get through that other thing that I was going through mm. um, and it's just really brilliant writing it's almost like she's writing a letter to the reader about how to take care of yourself in the aftermath of something like that which is it's just it's like being like it's like having a warm hug or something like reading reading stuff like that and um mm. I brought a quote that I wanted to share as well one of my favorite I mean there's so many there's so many brilliant quotes in the book and also if you if you can't get hold of the book her victim impact statement is online and you can read that for free and it's an amazing amazing piece of writing she she read it to the um courtroom at the end of the trial um but yeah this is a quote from the book I survived because I remained soft, because I listened, because I wrote. Do not become the ones who hurt you. Stay tender with your power. Never fight to injure, fight to uplift. 
Fight because you know that in this life you deserve safety, joy and freedom. When did you first read Know My Name? I read Know My Name, I think a few months after it came out, it's probably coming up two years ago. Oh wow, okay. And um, I can't remember how I came across it. I'd read, I'd, I'd sort of vaguely followed the Brock Turner case. Um, but I think I just saw it in a bookshop and I think I was, I was kind of going through um, something traumatic myself and I was kind of looking for stuff that I could read because for me, um, I find really useful when I'm um, like going through something is trying to understand it on a level outside myself. Mm. And I don't think that's necessarily helpful for, ev for everyone, but like once you understand something and where it comes from, something like harm and how it where it comes from structurally, it's almost quite comforting because in a lot of traumatic situations, especially women, we blame ourselves. Mm. So yeah, so reading about this this case, which was, to us so obviously unjust but she goes through those feelings as well so it sort of helps you contextualize it mm. that was that was not really an answer to your question i <laughs> came was. across it in a bookshop no that was and like that feeling of like do you know when you're, you're sad you watch sad films yeah yeah yeah. and people you would think that like oh no i'm gonna watch something that's gonna like be incredibly like yeah. self-help movie yeah. and it's gonna cheer me up and it's gonna make me want to like skip down the street and shit. Yeah. do you know what i mean like Sometimes that isn't actually the most helpful thing. Like the most helpful yeah. thing is like realizing that, yeah, there are women who go through traumatic things and they find the courage to be soft and mm. they find the courage to mm. to write those that write those stuff down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and definitely. that's so empowering, even yeah. though it's you're reading about something that's so horrific. Mina, what is your musical selection for the theme of survival this week? My musical selection for the theme of survival this week is Solange, the seat at the table. Um, God, was this 2017 yeah. when it came out? Yeah. It must have been. And yeah, I just remember, actually the first time I listened to it was at a listening party, like all the way through. I think I'd like listened to a couple of songs on the journey there. I've never gone back to an album like I do with A Seat at the Table. Mm. Like I've never felt so held and seen and mm. um, like I can trust in someone that I, Absolutely don't know, do you know what I mean? And I've loved, I've loved Solange since like Tony days, do you know what I mean? But mm. like, um, there was something about the songs in this album that was so revolutionary to me. And like, mm. just, uh, and 2017 also was one of the hardest years for me. Like, I didn't know where to turn to because every direction I was sort of turning was like, another hurtful thing and another mm. hurtful thing and another hurtful thing. And it was like the people that were, meant to be around me and to hold me um weren't there and honestly Solange took that place mm. like she really really did um like Weary such a beautiful song Cranes in the Sky oh my god Forest Fires mm. every single time the my favorite song changes do you know mm. what I mean that's beautiful um but I do love her <sighs> yeah can, I love you, can you speak about the moment you saw Solange live oh that's true um with Octavia Poetry Collective we got to perform at Latitude Festival um, 2018, 
summer, I think, and Solange was the headliner. And I remember me and Sarah LaSoya were trying to get to the like front of the main stage like as early as possible. <laughs> so we went to the shortest queue for food, got some vegan burgers, camped out at the front of the stage. Mm. There was some other place, like, I don't know who you're playing, <laughs> no idea. And then- Just there with your burgers, yeah. <laughs> whatever bands <laughs> Literally on stage. Anyway, the rest of Octavia Collective come and joined us. And then there was another collective there at the time, I can't remember the name, but all um, people of color. And so like, we were towards the left of the stage and, um, yeah, there was like this whole group of black and brown people. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of like the audience was just very, very white. When Solange came on stage, every time she went to the other side of the stage, she didn't get much energy. So she kept coming back to us. We kept singing, we were going for it. And then when she uh, was singing Fubu for us, by us, she came off stage and came in front of us and literally just stood like, there's oh me, Victoria and Sarah right there. And she was like, I had to tilt my head up because she was so close. And then she just like sang for us by us and we were all singing along and she was literally holding every single person's hand. It was a moment, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Nashling, please tell me your song, album, artist for the theme of survival. Okay, so my artist is Scissor and my album is Control. I mean, to be honest, Scissor as a person, but particularly this album, Control. Also 2017 summer, I think. Mm. Like, genuinely changed my life, this album. I think, first of all, lyrically, the story that she tells of the album, I guess, I guess, like, very vague, very generally, you can say she's speaking about heartbreak. I feel like Mm. she's speaking about a lot of other things, but heartbreak is the thing that kind of stands out for me. And I think one of the emotions that I associate with heartbreak is shame and humiliation. Mm. I think it's not the most obvious thing you think of. I mean, you think of sadness and anger and loss and kind of grief and all these things, but actually... You know, it, it, it feels embarrassing to have loved someone that hasn't treated you well and mm. to have still loved them when they haven't treated you well. And um, I think that's what Scissor kind of speaks to on that album. And it's like, for me, it's like she goes past, she goes through shame and through mm. embarrassment. And there's a line, um, do, you, do you even know I'm alive? That line on an album about kind of love and sex and heartbreak is... is it's real. <laughs> it's, it we, I think we've all felt that, you know? You, you can be sitting there absolutely obsessing over a person and just really thinking about them and, and so deep in this, like, quite painful love and you're thinking, do they, do they even know I'm alive? Like, mm. you haven't contacted me for days or weeks. Like, you, I could be... Bit. I yeah. could not have possibly needed that album more at the time that it came out. I didn't really know since before. I think I listened to the song, She Has a Chance, The Rapper. And I remember listening to that album all the way through on my bed. And then listening to it all over again, like straight, like back to back twice and just fucking sobbing. And also writing for the first time in months because wow. I'd been feeling super numb due, due to a load of things that were happening. And like, I can't really write when I'm feeling like that. And um, yeah, I think I wrote like two poems that night after um, listening to the album. And also just like lyrics aside, sonically what she's doing, mm. I feel like is so big. Yeah, She's combining all these sounds that you've heard before but you haven't heard them together before in all these genres and like I think she's so unique like no one is doing what she's doing you can you can kind of hear some influences but she's doing something so new I would like put her on 
at pre-drinks and people will be kind of like dancing and stuff but in my head I'm like they don't know I've cried to this album a million times yeah. like, you know that meme yeah, when the yeah. guys are the party I'm just like, <laughs> thinking that like but that's why I love it because you can just kind of put it on and people people are like yeah this is good but like it's also what's your favourite song on the album? I love the first one I love Supermodel mm. I just think it's perfect um there's a really cool story behind it about her and Pharrell and Pharrell just like coming to help produce it and just being like, there's nothing I can do, this is perfect. <laughs> um, and I love 20 something. Mm. I love The Weeknd, of course. Mm. Doves in the Wind, like there's just so many, there's so many, there's like a song for every mood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also I was thinking honorable mentions, Amy Winehouse, just everything oh, she done. And 100%. also, um, Auntie, Rihanna. Oh yes, yes, always. Honorable mention for me, for this year, actually, well, the latter part of this year would be Wizkid's Made in Lagos. Mm. Um, yeah, Blessed. I think I've played Blessed so much this, this last mm. few months. Also, Mahalia, honorable mention. Oh, yeah. Mahalia, yeah. honestly. I could do a fresh tea. I guess to survive mm -hmm. means to survive something. Mm -hmm. And that's normally not a good thing, do you know what I mean? You're never gonna survive. Mm -hmm. I don't know, your plant thriving. <laughs> like, that's not yeah, something yeah, yeah, you survive. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So it isn't like necessarily a really positive theme to start off from. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to know what survival like meant for you in, in that way. Mm, mm, I guess, yeah. It, I mean, it's not positive because it doesn't come from a positive route. Mm. But I think there is something profoundly hopeful and positive about the concepts of survival. Especially, like, obviously it's a word nowadays. I think we associate a lot with, like, sexual violence, for one thing. I've been sort of doing some stuff in the campaign at Goldsmiths about um, just the university defunding sexual, um, like, preventative sexual violence measures and workshops for survivors and things like that. And the word survivor is talked about a lot in those kind of spaces mm. because not everyone identifies with that as a label. Um, and I don't really know how I feel about it. I mean, it's not a word that I'm like 100% settled on to describe someone that has been through something like that. Um, I don't really like the word victim either. Yeah. But um, I think especially because survival of, of kind of bodily harm, bodily trauma, it's so not linear. Like I think anyone that's been through that can kind of attest the fact that it's, you go back and forth all the time, you go around in circles, you think you're good and then something happens again, or you don't grieve, or you don't feel anything about what's happened to you for weeks and then it's back and it's like so survivor almost sounds like you you passed it you've done yeah. like and then it and and then it's also I think something that almost everyone in those spaces kind of says is that it's really hard to take your own pain seriously you, you're kind of like oh is my trauma even real people have gone through worse do I even care? and you know all that kind of thing so I don't think it's a perfect word by any means but it does say something and it does kind of speak to I think a community of people who can relate to each other and understand each other. And I think there's something nice there. So I think that's what it means to me personally, but mm. I think there's also something beautiful in the fact it can kind of mean anything to anyone. It's a very yeah. flexible word. I really, really think again and again, all of these topics, um, any any kind of personal, political, cultural 
societal experience that mainly affects women, we tend to have really, really, really limited language about, mm. right? We, we tend to have, I don't know about other languages, but in the English language, we simply do not have words to talk about these kinds of things. So it's like we're forced to use these words that don't quite encompass the experience. This stuff is deeply, deeply political. All of these things are really political. When you study politics and the roots of Western politics, it's, it's not about consent, you know? It's really not, and like, I think about this a lot, how like consent is so much more complicated than we think as a culture in this country and also more complex than there is space for in the English language. Mm. And such such an upheaval would have to happen for conversations about consent to match how it's how it's operationalized in life and in relationship. There's so many reflections, I think, um, in other political um, interactions and dynamics. Like, for example, the way the state is with citizens and non-citizens, inverted commas, has everything to do with consent and, and, and borders. And, and like even that borders overlap with sexual consent. Um, because of things like trafficking and sex work across borders and like it's just so it's so much bigger than fucking no means no you know I mean yeah. like that that language simply does not do it yeah I think in fact there's a Chanel Miller quote about that um when a woman is assaulted one of the first questions people ask is did you say no this question assumes that the answer was always yes and that it's her job to revoke the agreement to defuse the bomb she was given but why are they allowed to touch us until we physically fight them off why is the door open until we have to slam it shut? What's something you find hopeful in your experience of like surviving, whether that's with yourself or with community or with other people? Honestly, I would actually say community because mm. Mm. Um, I definitely do shit on the poetry community a lot. <laughs> I do. They don't make it easy to. <laughs> they don't. Um, Sorry, we. Which I should say. <laughs> 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 so, I'm not a poet. Like, so, I don't know who I'm dragging when I shit on them because I'm technically dragging myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I really know that there are so many people in that community yeah. that are my chosen family, and if push comes to shove, they will, they will be there. Do you know what mm. I mean? Because I'm gonna make sure that they're there. Yes, exactly us. Like it's. Yeah, I don't think I necessarily had a community like that before I started performing poetry or started like being sort of in this scene um mm. and obviously there are like pockets of communities within this community yeah um i remember a good friend Bayanne. she came across um a printed out copy of a small needful fact by ross gay mm. um like in a like a plastic envelope just like on the the bus oh. stop and she just like read it, took a picture of it and left it there for the next person. Oh, and I was so like, lovely. that is so beautiful, yeah. do you know what I mean? And it might not have been someone in the poetry community or mm. the London poetry community, I've got to be very specific, yeah. but, um, that left that. But poetry as a community itself, do you know what I mean, is, is really beautiful. In a different way, my really, really close community. So um, just in terms of 2020 and all the shit that happened and then just kind of personal stuff that was going on with me as well. I'd been in a relationship and had kind of relied on one person to a large extent for a really long time to survive things emotionally. I'd kind of relied on one person for that for a long time or relied primarily on one person for a long time. Once I ended that relationship, all of my other relationships that mattered to me thrived and flourished. Yeah. And I think like I got close with you, I got close with so many other female friends. I got close with my family. I think I healed a couple of relationships which I thought were beyond healing. And that for me was like such a beautiful experience of community because 
my friends are amazing and I've always known they're amazing, but the way that my friends and family came through for me at that time, I, I can't even describe how loved I felt and how lucky I felt. And I think, I think survival is all about the people around you. Obviously you, you have to do things for yourself and you have to kind of look after yourself. But I think that does go hand in hand with looking after other people. Mm -hmm. And there's something lovely about looking after other people. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as it's reciprocal and it's kind of healthy and everything, it's, it's a beautiful thing to do. It's fulfilling and lovely and yeah, like friendship, family, romantic, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's a lovely feeling. It is. And you cooked me and Martha a really beautiful Christmas dinner yesterday. That made me really happy. Tabs really unsettle me. Does it? You've got too many. You need to close the tabs in your mind. Attack me! <laughs> when have you ever seen my tabs? Many times. Oh. You show me your tabs, your tab collection. Oh, your tab you my phone? No, no, no. The way we no, I don't I've got my Safari be scrolling I, I, for years. I like nice things, Amina. And um, <laughs> obviously, you don't, and that's fine. That's something that's different. I love enough. nice things. Mm. But I don't want to close things because what if I want to go back to the top of it and see what I was feeling like a year ago? Also, I don't do it on my laptop because it slows it down, but on my phone, I don't want a Safari tab. And you want you want Jeff Bezos and all the other people up in the sky to know what you were looking at a year ago as well. Up in the sky. Yeah, they're making money off your, I don't know what to call it, need to keep tabs open. I don't buy into Instagram ads. What do you mean? As in like sponsored ads. Because mm. they look into my life on my phone. What do you mean you don't phone. buy into them? I don't buy that shit. Well, I, okay, the reason I found that snuggle pillow thing was, was from was Instagram, exactly. This is what I'm saying. Like, that's the only thing that I feel like, I, when you get sponsored ads, it's mm. because they look into your, yeah, your shit it is your because phone. of that. Yeah. But it's not even people, it's like algorithms at this yeah, point. It's, it not even a, it's not even a job. No, 100%. So, I don't get that job away from people. Mm. Right. Who is your okay. political, or who or what is your political inspiration? Um, so, I've chosen um, a poem called A Litany for Survival by none other than Audrey Lorde. Um, and Audrey Lorde describes herself as a black, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet. Mm. Um, and I think that's encompassed in her life and her creative works that she's, she's put out. Um, I'm just gonna read the poem, it's not very long. A Litany for Survival. For those of us who live at the shoreline, standing upon the constant edges of decision, crucial and alone. For those of us who cannot indulge the passing dreams of choice, who live in doorways coming and going, in the hours between dawns, looking inward and outward, at once before and after, seeking a now that can breed futures, like bread in our children's mouths, so their dreams will not reflect the death of ours. For those of us who were imprinted with fear, like a faint line in the center of our foreheads, learning to be afraid with our mother's milk, for by this weapon, this illusion of some safety to be found, the heavy-footed hope to silence us, for all of us, this instant and this triumph, we were never meant to survive. And when the sun rises, we are afraid it might not remain. When the sun sets, we are afraid it might not rise in the morning. When our stomachs are full, we are afraid of indigestion. When our stomachs are empty, we are afraid we may never eat again. When we are loved, 
we are afraid love will vanish. When we are alone, we are afraid love will never return. And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So, it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. That's stunning. That's stunning. Stunning, yeah. And um, I think Audrey takes us on the... She's doing the Lord's work, you know. <laughs> doing the Lord's work. Um, she takes us on such a journey where it's like... If we haven't experienced every emotion or every feeling in this poem, then we've experienced a hell of a lot of them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and the only sort of triumph and the only sort of thing that will get you through such horrific times is that we weren't meant to be here in the first place and it gives me so much hope and so much um vim to like keep going and to like Anthony what did you bring for the politics section of survival so I brought a book that I've been kind of dipping in and out of for a while um it's called the feminist and the sex offender and it's by Judith Levine and Erica R minus and it's really interesting it's like honestly it's heavy it's really a heavy book which is why I've kind of been dipping in and out of it for a while um but it's also it's I'd say it's more journalistic in style than like kind of heavy political text and it's basically just about rethinking approaches to um sexual violence which don't centralize like incarceration and punishment and just kind of trying to imagine new ways of dealing with that harm because obviously that's that's a type of harm which even people who are open to reforming or even abolishing the criminal justice system that's where it can people get stumped because it's Mm. like but as a feminist how do you how do you say that we shouldn't incarcerate sex offenders right but what this book kind of does is it kind of highlights how actually you know the systems of domination that the prison system is built on are the same systems of domination which harm us as women and it's where things like intersectionality are really important because you have to think about race and class as well as gender, as well as a lot of other things um, to really understand the prison system and the way it harms women, especially black women, as well as men who are punished by this kind of thing. So I would say that there isn't really a feminist case for prisons at all, mm. but abolishing prisons, it's, it's like when you, when you speak to someone about this who doesn't want prison abolition or police abolition, they kind of demand that you have a completely foolproof alternative like that on the go, right? And it's like undoing something as complex and old as that logic of incarceration and punishment, I think it would take all of us to kind of come together and really, it's a different logic, right? It's the ending prisons would come as a result of us rethinking what our culture is built on. Mm. No no one's arguing that we just close all the prisons and free everyone today, right? It It would come after undoing a huge amount of, of, of very, very complex things, which I certainly don't fully understand. I don't think anyone fully does. And lots of people have different solutions about how we would get there. Um, lots of people have written about it. People have written about it for years. Angela Davis kind of pioneered that movement. Her and other um, black women kind of pioneered the abolitionist feminist movement in like the 70s, I think. Um, and then there's lots, there's lots since that. People have been working tirelessly. So yeah, I brought a quote from the book, which is, um, just as prison does not turn violent actors into peaceful people, litigation will not make a nasty person a considerate and honest lover. 
that requires the slow work of personal and cultural change, a transformation of social values so profound as to render unthinkable the misogynist acts that muscle out sexual mutuality. I love that. Thanks. My bar wrote it. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the book touches on so many things, but... Mm. Laws which seem to protect women, like further criminalising domestic violence, actually often lead to things like more police presence and more surveillance, yeah. which, as we know, for like undocumented communities, for black communities, do not help women in those communities. They, like, they simply don't. Um, so we have to think of other ways. You know, the reason that's linked to survival is because we, we, need, we need to rethink all of these systems to survive long term. Yeah. You know, the, these are these systems, especially incarceration and the criminal justice system and the police and all these things tend to kind of hinder the survival of a lot of us rather than rather than protect us, which is what mm. which is what they're understood to be yeah. there for. Welcome to the Agony Aunt section of our podcast. This section is called Sad Little Life. What a, what a sad, sad little life, life Jane. Um, where we get you to send in anonymous questions, queries, dilemmas, anything you want our opinion on, basically. Because our opinion is valid. And we'll do our best to um, help you with it. Because we care. Because we're here and we want to help you. The question that we're going to be answering this week is... When do you try again with someone and when do you learn to just let it go? This is a sticky one for me. Yeah, I mean... Because I'm prone to never let it go. I dig my acrylic nails into the situation and I and I hold on for dear life. Those coffin, um, those coffin acrylics. Yeah, literally the, the coffin. The pores of a problem person. <laughs> um, but I think there is like a clear sort of line for me. Now, in hindsight, it's, 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 hindsight is a wonderful thing, um, where it's like, okay, after I have maybe potentially caught feelings, if I don't know where I stand with them, then they ain't ever gonna stand where I want them to. Do you oh. know what I mean? They need to make it clear. Like they need to be like, yeah. this is what I want. Mm. And then their actions need to align with that. Yeah. And if it doesn't, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a really good answer, I think. What do you say? That shows a lot of insight. Like <laughs> it shows so that I'm I've been no. hurt a lot. <laughs> That's what I'm so, so I'm, what I mean is like I think that shows like you've really really thought about that and you've thought about what personally is unacceptable to you and that's shit I don't know if I ever know what I want in, in mm. those situations or, mm. or I realise like two months too late what I want you know I think yeah I I think I've got I've tried to get more like disciplined with myself about this recently because yeah. I've given a lot of people Giving people second, third, fourth, fifth chances to the point where it's really, really just hurt me and actually not really done any good for them either. And I think I've tried to, I've, I have definitely got better at that recently where I'm just kind of like, I think for me, I have like a two or I'm trying to stick to like a two chances rule where like someone messes up one time, I'll forgive them for it, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And that can be anything, that can be anything that hurts you. Like yeah. you, what I think what you don't have to do is sit there and be like, oh, but did they mean to? Was it this? Are they going through this? Are they go That's all perfectly valid. But I do think at a point you have to think about whether they meant it or not, if you got hurt, you got hurt. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I think I'll let someone do that once and then the second time, that's probably for me now, I think that's it, hmm. you know? Because, because one time can be a mistake, but as soon as it's more than once, I just think you're, you're then, you know, in love with or friends with or attached 
or evolve to someone who that's who they are and people can change and everything it is that thing do they understand the feeling that they left you with mm. because if they truly understood it if, if that was something you were able to communicate and they were able to understand as in a healthy relationship any choice it should be then they wouldn't do it again yeah. like you, you don't do things that you know will harm someone yeah if you're in a healthy relationship or friendship or you know familiar relationship mm. do what i say not what i do because mm. <laughs> i've been dishing out infinite chances left right and center like literally my whole life but um yeah that's what i that's what i try and stick to now mm. just listen explain. my friends don't fuck up that much well, yeah yeah no that's true that is true the, the people in my life that i love and value are people that care about other people and want to to be like not in a kind of capitalist productivity sense but want to be the best version of themselves that they can be mm. in terms of being kind to people and when they fuck up they realize and they're like shit i need to change something i need to do something and like whether that's therapy or whether that's you know whatever else like people people will put the work in to do better if they care mm. and those those people I think you know when you've got someone like that because it's special and it's rare and yeah. cool. So I hope that helps. Yeah, I hope that whoever helps. sent in um, that question. What was the second question? So the... the second question was, what is the line between feeling empowered by dressing up slash wearing makeup and subscribing to patriarchal beauty standards? Oh, what is the that big, line? The big question. The big question. The only thing that I can sort of say about that right now is that men will say shit to you in the street even if you're in your pajamas yeah do you know what i mean completely regardless and they'll find something yeah about the way you do look on that particular day exactly whatever it is exactly so it's difficult because it's like you will all again when you dress up it's such an exciting thing to get dressed up and you normally do it with friends as well yeah i have i have loads of different thoughts about this and i have quite contradictory thoughts I think about this um I remember reading some kind of I think it was like a feminist economics book actually but it was about um makeup this particular bit and it was saying how there's something really like inherently playful about applying makeup mm. like the bright colors and the kind of let's be real like when you when you perfect the wing that's that's a craft you Honestly. know there's and it's and it's all about like shapes and contouring all that stuff like obviously because it's something that mainly women or queer men do it's not seen, it's not taken seriously. It's not mm. seen as like an art form, but it, I think same could be said about like hair styling and things like that as well. There's something really creative and artistic and playful about that. And I think that's just beautiful in and of itself and really nothing to do with, with the male gaze or patriarchal beauty stands or anything. I think also like, I mean, I'm really not a makeup expert, but there's, there's certain styles of makeup, I think, which like, I don't really believe that women do makeup for men. I don't really believe that, but I think there's like some styles of makeup which are so kind of abstract and colourful and playful that you can't say they're adhering to anything. Yeah. They're, they're like subverting stuff or they're, they're artistic and they're kind of pushing boundaries. So that's that's really amazing. I think it depends what kind of makeup we're talking about. Some um, kind of forms of makeup and like self-modification do cater to like really problematic hmm. like racial ideas, I guess. More than, I mean, it's all linked, obviously. But there's things there. And one thing I would add is that there's so much discourse on um, Twitter about just, especially like cis men being like, oh, I, I love like women with natural oh. makeup. I love women of natural makeup, natural this, natural that, natural beauty. Natural girl. And then the women that they're talking about have foundation, concealer, 
setting powder, bronzer, this contour. Is what I mean. Men don't know. Like, they it's don't just, know what we're wearing. It's just <laughs> neutral, warm tones. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And like that's what they see as natural. So if you if you really want to wear colorful eyeshadow, do that. Like yeah. I respect it because I can't do it. Yeah. Um, as in like I don't know how to apply. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it a skill. it's a skill. It is a skill. Yeah. No, definitely. And also, don't you think there's something so beautiful and intimate about like doing someone else's makeup or doing yeah. someone else's hair? Like it's such a that's got fuck all to do with men. Like, don't don't let them. I've, I've I think just so many like beautiful like cute little moments throughout my life when I'm getting ready with another woman, either for an occasion or not, just like casually and like doing someone else's nails, doing someone else's eyeliner. Like, there's such a nice kind of gentle intimacy there, which is really valuable and beautiful. And and don't let I don't know. We can we can sit here for hours and decide like what are actually our genuine choices and yeah. what are our coerced choices that have been, you know, influenced by patriarchy. But sometimes, sometimes just let go. I think. And on that note, we're going to end today's episode. We're going to leave you with one of our favourite moments of pop culture of all time. I would I would say. I would definitely say yeah. Please enjoy. Yes, we are all sluts. You're a slut. All these dudes behind you are sluts. Your cameraman's a slut. Your PA is a slut. And your mic's a slut. And what made you a slut? Because I own my body. My body is not a political playground. It's not a place for legislation. It's mine. It's my future. And how old are you? Grown. 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 So you sleep around with a lot of men? No, actually, I'm a virgin. You're a virgin? Yeah. So you're not a slut? Yes, you can be a slut. Because a slut is not what you made it, Jesse. A slut is what I made it. A boss getting money, taking the mic, turning life around, taking over Hollywood. So you are still a virgin, but yet you call yourself a slut. It wouldn't matter. I'm saying it doesn't matter if I'm a virgin. It doesn't matter what a woman's sexual history is. A slut is just a word that you and your fellow penises made. A slut. Your mama's a slut. Your grandma's a slut. Everybody. Is your mother a slut? No, but yours is. Your mother's not a slut? No. But you said every woman's a slut. Everybody. Why your mother is not a slut? You are a slut. Not my mother in particular is not a slut, but a slut is a word for anybody who's owning their sexuality, turning up, and not letting Jesse twist their answers around. (laughs) So let me ask, I noticed you, are you dressed slutty today? No. I'm dressed like a woman. What made you decide to come out looking like this? You look like a slut. What made you do it? You look like a slut. What made you dress? What made you dress like this? No, just answer that question. What made you dress? I dress like this because I can dress whatever I want to. Period. But what made you dress like this? Let me ask you, do you believe? Why you put on this striped shirt? Let me ask you, do you believe in God? Yes, Jesse. I believe what, in God. Would God want you to be a slut? God would want me to be whatever I want to be. Would he want you to be a slut? He would want me to be whatever I want to be. Whatever I want to be. To be a slut. He would want me to be whatever I want to be because God believes in choice. And you should know that, Jesse. That's Would why you're you allowed to wear this lame-ass shirt. Would your parents be happy to know that you're a slut? My parents would be happy to know that I'm a free woman on a billboard in Times Square in Soho for every real because we take back the woman form and we ain't lame dudes like Jesse wearing striped shirt. Cool. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. We'll see you in two weeks with another episode. And in the meantime, you can email us at WITBehaviorPod with any thoughts, comments, questions that you have. Have a beautiful couple of weeks. weeks.